Think about how healthcare is delivered. Think about how it's regulated, how it's reimbursed. Technologies that are being used to track patient populations, it's all dated. Most of that is really just like rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. If we're going to truly transform the healthcare system, we have to come up with ways to make sure that we are empowering every individual. The United States has a healthcare problem. At this point, there is no denying that fact. The U.S. spends more on healthcare than any other country in the world. But that money doesn't mean that Americans are healthier than the rest of the world. When you compare the U.S. to other developed countries, we spend about twice as much per person on health care, but we rank about the middle for measurements of how healthy our citizens are. On top of that, health care has become more and more expensive for individuals. A serious illness can bankrupt an entire family. And the industry has attracted the ire of politicians on both sides of the aisle. Health care in the U.S. needs something some kind of change. Enter Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase. These giants of industry are trying to take on this thorny problem by creating a new healthcare company. The company is going to start by trying to serve the U.S. employees of those three companies, which is about one million people. Just a few weeks ago, Dr. Atul Gawande was chosen to lead this company. And in reporting this process of choosing a CEO, CNBC found that the first thing Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase asked CEO candidates to do was write a white paper on how they would, quote, fix the healthcare system. But the healthcare system isn't a broken car engine. It can't just be fixed. Can it? What would it look like if you fixed the healthcare system? How would you do it? What tools would you need? What people or expertise would you mobilize to the cause? Today on Health Tech, we're going to explore just a few answers to those questions based on how the system works today. We'll ask, could technology make healthcare easier to navigate? What if healthcare worked more like the free market? And what if we simply need to change our definition of health? From GeekWire.com in Seattle, I'm Claire McGrain. Welcome to Health Tech, where we tell you the stories behind cutting-edge health innovation. Stay with us. Support for Health Tech comes from Seattle Children's, whose pioneering research institute is not only changing medicine, but creating life-saving therapies for pediatric diseases such as cancer, type 1 diabetes, sickle cell anemia, and many more. Seattle Children's. Hope. Care. So how do we even start fixing the healthcare system? Well, it would help if we understand how it works right now. And that's easier said than done. Some people spend whole careers trying to figure out all the different parts of the system and how they work together. But here's an explanation that I think does a really good job in a short amount of time. It describes healthcare as five points five different groups that make up the system. And so the five points are payer, provider, purchaser, patient, and policymaker. That's Maura Little. She has a background in policymaking. She actually worked for Washington Governor Jay Inslee when he was still Washington Senator Jay Inslee. 
And Mora is now the executive director of Cambia Grove. This is a healthcare hub in Seattle that works with startups to help them integrate with the bigger system. In the past few months, Cambia has been exploring this view of the five points of healthcare. So let's look at an example to dive into these five points. First, the patient. Let's say a hypothetical person, I'll call him Jeff, he goes in for a checkup. Jeff is the patient. His doctor and the hospital he goes to, they're the provider. So those first two are pretty straightforward. But now we get into the insurance side of things. Jeff has health insurance through his work, so his employer is the purchaser. That means they purchased healthcare on his behalf. Jeff doesn't really have a say in that decision. It was probably made before he joined the company. Whatever insurance company his employer works with, they are the payer. They are the ones who will actually reimburse Jeff's doctor for this visit. And again, Jeff doesn't get to decide what his insurance covers and what it doesn't cover. Mostly those decisions are made without him. And finally, there's the policymakers. This is a whole group of people like Jeff's senator, the head of his state's healthcare authority, his governor. These people decide on the laws and rules that govern healthcare. And that's everything from what Jeff's insurance needs to pay for, all the way to how wide the halls need to be in the hospital he goes to. Cambia Grove wanted to understand more about these five points and how they all work together. So they actually did a whole series of panels to try and figure this out. And what we did over the series of six events was we put all of them on stage together and we said, how do you all work together? And by and large, the real conversation equated to they, they don't. It was really apparent. We thought we were going to come up with something completely different. But then when we came out of the conference, we literally looked at a graphic recording of the conversation and we had five distinct silos. So all of the people and companies we just talked about, Jeff's doctor, his employer, the insurance company, his senator, they all impact his health care. And in many situations, Jeff doesn't know what's going on and has no control over what happens. And with a few rare exceptions, none of the other parts of the system are working together. To me, this explains a lot about the current state of healthcare. So now we have an idea of what the system looks like and what some of the problems are, but the question still remains. How can we try to fix it? And more specifically, how will Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase try to fix it? I decided to run a thought exercise to stir up some ideas around this question. So I sat down with a few different CEOs around Seattle that work in healthcare, and I asked them to imagine they were chosen to lead this new company. Because it doesn't have a name yet, people in the industry are calling the company ABC after the three companies that formed it. So if you were the CEO of ABC, what would you do to try and fix the system? Some of the answers I heard were really interesting and surprising. Let's start with Chad Robbins. Chad is the CEO of Adaptive Biotechnologies. It's a biotech company based in Seattle that basically uses technology to understand the immune system. You might know Adaptive because of its partnership with Microsoft. They're aiming to create an artificial intelligence blood test that can diagnose hundreds of diseases at the same time. But Chad isn't really a scientist. He's a business person. He has a degree from the Wharton School of Business, and he's a very strategic thinker. 
He approached this thought exercise basically by assembling his toolbox. He looked at the expertise of these three companies and selected the things they're already really good at. One of the weightiest tools in that toolbox is technology, especially Amazon's technology. And technology is a flexible tool. Think of it like a really useful Swiss army knife. Chad said technology is going to be essential to fixing healthcare in a variety of ways. For example, we were just thinking of, you know, my kids are going to camp. And when you have all these vaccine records and then have to go to the doctor and get all this stuff and then bring it forward, well, what if you could just say, Alexa, send the vaccine records to camp, and then it's done. Using technology like this to make the customer experience easier, it's almost a no-brainer. It's really similar to what Amazon already does today. But ABC also has an opportunity to blaze paths into totally new technology. And part of the reason is that it will be the insurance provider for the employees of Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan. It can change the financial incentives to make sure people can use these technologies because their insurance will pay for it. Chad called out precision medicine as one of the big opportunities here. This is a new approach that uses some deep technology to personalize treatment for different people. You know, one of the key tenets of precision medicine is that we're treating each patient, you know, based on their own molecular profile to provide the best care for the right patient at the right time. And that ultimately should be a value proposition to this consortium and obviously more broadly the healthcare system if done right. Berkshire, Amazon, J.P. Morgan could really put their stake in the ground and be a leader in these efforts. ABC also has the potential to become a real leader in artificial intelligence in the healthcare space. That's the first thing Harjinder Santu said when I told him about this thought exercise. Harjinder is the founder and CEO of Seikara, a startup building an AI-powered voice scribe for doctors. I'm going to read part of the response he sent me. Quote, this new venture presents a unique opportunity to significantly advance the state of the art in AI and healthcare. AI systems need data, and the Achilles heel of AI systems so far within healthcare has been the paucity of good data that can be used to design this next generation of systems. Harjinder goes on to say that ABC is uniquely situated to drive this change because of its employees. The three companies have one million employees in the United States. That group of patients is a perfect opportunity to gather data that can train AI systems. It's also a ready-made testing ground to pilot new AI tools. Plus, Amazon is a leader in AI, so it can use its technology to help with anything the venture decides to do. So AI, precision medicine, these are some interesting, concrete things that ABC could work on. But technology is a tool. It's a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. Changing the healthcare system will take tools like technology, but it will also take a vision of what the system should be like, how it could work better on a macro scale. One potential vision is to make healthcare more like the free market. In other words, to empower healthcare consumers to make more informed choices. That patient or that consumer does have the opportunity to make real sustainable changes in the healthcare system. But there's a lot of barriers. That's Mora again. Remember, she found out that the five points of healthcare don't actually work together. But patients are kind of the central hub among all those five points. Think about Jeff again. 
He knows his doctor and his hospital. He knows his employer. He interacts with his health insurance provider. And on some level, he impacts the policymakers in government. He can vote for one senator or the other, and he can write into different government bodies to make his voice heard. So Mora's idea is to give patients like Jeff more power. But this idea runs into a big problem. There are 325 million odd people in the U.S., and they're all patients. Everybody uses the healthcare system. It's almost impossible to organize literally everyone in the country because there are so many different groups that have different needs and desires. People are so different. Genders, cultures, ethnicities, um, geographies, age, you run the gamut. And so in order to organize that voice, it almost has to take on the element of empowering the individual to make their own choices. One of the ways to empower that individual is to really allow them the tools necessary to understand cost, to understand quality, to understand where they can go for their healthcare needs, and to be able to give them the choice to personalize what their journey might look like. In other industries, this already happens. Customers regulate the market by choosing which companies to give their business to. But with few exceptions, customers have very limited choices when it comes to healthcare. A consumer might have a choice between two insurance companies that their employer offers, but most people just have one option. They might have two or three different hospital systems in their region, but that choice is still really limited. Obviously, it would be ideal to let everyone have more choices, and one day that could happen. But in the meantime, Mora said technology can help the system listen to patients better and also give patients more information to make those choices when they do have them. Being able to get everyone's input will be difficult, but I do think that technology does play a role in getting to that more consumer-focused healthcare system. Data is a big one. If we could unlock some of that data to help people customize their journey and be able to utilize data to help shape what what they need out of the system, that'd be huge. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll ask a new question. What if we're actually thinking about the healthcare system all wrong? That's after the break on Health Tech. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is brought to you by Seattle Children's Research Institute. I'm speaking with Dr. Courtney Crane. She is a principal investigator at the Bentown Center for Childhood Cancer Research at Seattle Children's Research Institute. I know that your dad played a role in your career direction. Tell us that story. Oh, sure. So when I was 19, I was an undergraduate at James Madison University, and I was a biology major. And like every other biology major, my plans were to apply to medical school and become a clinical doctor. And my father was diagnosed with leukemia, which at the time was a pretty severe diagnosis. And so his prognosis was anywhere from three to six months. But he was fortunate enough to be enrolled in one of the first generation immunotherapies, and he just got better. And, and he lived for nine years and he lived well. And so seeing it in action, seeing what our immune system was capable of was really powerful. Dr. Courtney Crane is a principal investigator at Seattle Children's Research Institute. To find out more, go to seattlechildrens.org research. Welcome back. Today, we're taking a 30,000 foot view of the healthcare system and asking, can we fix it? Or more specifically, can Amazon, 
J.P. Morgan Chase and Berkshire Hathaway fix it with their new healthcare company, which we're calling ABC. But for some people in the industry, these are not the right questions to be asking. The bigger question is, what does health actually mean? In 1946, I believe, the World Health Organization defined health as not merely the absence of disease or infirmity, but a state of total social, mental, and physical well-being. That's Ryan Schmid. He's the CEO of a company called Vera Whole Health. And I kind of have this visual image of whomever the folks are that created that, like screaming from a mountaintop, this definition warning us all to remember the social, mental, and of course, I don't think that we did. Ryan's point here is that the healthcare system we know today is all about treating physical illness. It's missing a huge part of people's health. In fact, it's missing almost everything about their health, where they live, who they rely on in a crisis, what they buy at the grocery store. All of those things have an impact on your health. We all intuitively know this. We know that we don't feel well when we're under extreme stress or if we're isolated from other people or if we can't afford fresh, healthy food. So Ryan would ask, how will creating new technology or changing how insurance works actually keep people healthy when they're dealing with all these other problems? Most of that is really just like rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic if, as a, as a whole, as a culture, we don't start to think about health as being social, mental, and physical and, and really creating a system that is designed to treat the whole person so that like, we ultimately get less sick as a society, um, which I think is not the direction that we're currently heading. Ryan has an interesting perspective on this topic. He has a background working in health and fitness, but then he started working in community organizing. He spent nearly eight years as an affordable housing developer at a nonprofit in South Seattle. And now he works at Vera Whole Health. Vera is a primary care company, also based in Seattle, that operates clinics. They're the kind of place you would go for a routine doctor's appointment, or if you had a mild health problem, like an ear infection. Vera operates clinics on corporate campuses. One of its clients is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Those companies pay a monthly fee for each of their employees, and then their employees can visit the Vera Clinic literally whenever they want. This is a relatively new idea, and it's taking off. A few different companies have clinics like this, ones that charge membership fees instead of charging patients for every service they get. So when Ryan thinks about bringing social and mental health into the healthcare system, he thinks of primary care. Primary care, by definition, should involve things like care teams getting out into the communities, t- tying more community resources back to supporting individuals and families in in social, mental, and physical health. So, you know, affordable produce and good food, safe streets for people to walk on and be outside and engage with one another, more money going into schools and supporting families that are that are struggling. Um, all of these social determinants or environmental determinants, the the things that are creating stress, anxiety, depression that are then resulting ultimately chronic conditions and high claims, Ryan says that Vera customers are able to lower their overall health care cost by making an upfront investment in primary care. Basically, they're intervening at the first possible moment to stop people from getting sick in the first place. 
or from treating them when they're just sick instead of when they're very, very sick. And Vera is able to do that by changing the incentives in the system. Vera actually makes more profit when its customers stay healthy. That's the opposite of how the payment system normally works. And Ryan says that approach could be taken to another level by investing in community health. We should be, as a, as a culture, spending some of this $3 trillion way, 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 way further upstream to prevent these like massive claims downstream. And I, and I think the role that primary care can have in that is very significant. Of course, there are some challenges to making that investment happen. I asked Ryan why the whole healthcare system doesn't operate like Vera does. It makes so much common sense. And he had a few answers. One is simply that change is hard. And changing a $3 trillion system that employs more people than any other industry in the country, that's very, very hard. But he also had a more cynical answer. There are too many people making money hand over fist with no incentive to change the way things are today. And I, I hate to say it, but it's almost it's almost that simple. And there's many layers of that. But the fact of the matter is there has not been the financial incentive to change. And let's say you have a, let's just use the 18% of GDP that healthcare is today. I mean, let, let's say we can get that down to 15%. Well, where's that going to come from? Somebody or entities just lost money for that to happen. And yet another challenge is scale. No one healthcare company has the resources to take care of the whole country. This gets at something that came up in every conversation I had for this episode. Ryan described his vision of shifting the system to focus on social and mental health as a public health program. In other words, he thinks the government should partner with healthcare companies to make it happen. And this idea just kept coming up. No one company can change the system. No one part of the system can force change on the rest of it. There needs to be collaboration and partnership, and it needs to happen at a huge scale to make any difference. Here's Mara again. We've seen some of our points go at it on their own. So we've seen uh, the Affordable Care Act come through the doors, and, and that was a lot of partnerships. You know, Congress worked with a ton of different stakeholders to put together a bill to try and advance a healthier healthcare system. Things have changed. Where we're at now is dramatically different than where we were when we when we passed the Affordable Care Act. There have been purchasers like Boeing, um, purchasers like the Healthcare Authority, working on different models for their employees. All great efforts. But if you want to truly transform the healthcare system, I really do believe that partnerships with our five points are key, all with the idea of empowering the consumer. Chad Robbins also emphasized this theme, and he talked about it in the context of ABC. Again, he said there's no way to change the system alone. He said the venture should be careful about understanding how its work fits into the healthcare system and where it can partner with other stakeholders, as well as where it needs to push back. What it looks like, I think, is bringing together uh, and, and aggregating you know, various components of the healthcare system, working with them, you know, bring them as part of a consortium to understand what programs are being piloted and whether they'll be acceptable from a reimbursement standpoint, um, from a technological standpoint, whether it'll fit in with 
certain legacy healthcare systems, which part of the healthcare systems need to be changed versus which need to be fit within the systems. Those are all things that I think need to be addressed early on without kind of building tools and apps, which Amazon is very capable of doing, but you don't want to build these tools and apps in a vacuum that aren't going to fit within the broader system. ABC is in a unique position. Its first mandate is to improve healthcare and lower costs, but only for the employees of these three companies. And that population is very specific. It's made up of largely middle or upper class people. They're all employed and they all have insurance. In Amazon's case, we have data that shows these people mostly live in or near urban centers. That group of people is not representative of the U.S. as a whole. So if ABC uses data from those people, for example, to train an artificial intelligence system, it's very possible that AI will have built-in blind spots or biases. The same goes for the other innovations. If they're built for and tested on one group of people with similar lives, they're going to work well for those people. But they might not work well, or work at all, for other people. People who are living in poverty. People who are unemployed or uninsured. And in many ways, those people, they're the ones the healthcare system is already failing. And we know that when people don't have access to regular healthcare, they end up being more costly to the system later on because they have unaddressed health problems. It's a vicious cycle. I asked Ryan about this because Vera has the same challenge. Its customers are employees of large companies, they have insurance, and they mostly live in urban centers. So does he worry about Vera's progress leaving other people behind? Yeah, that's a really good question. I actually think about this a lot. The way that I think about it is, like it or not, one does have to follow the money, right? And in working with directly with employers who, who today are paying for you know, roughly 60% of healthcare in, in America, if we can have a significant impact on their claims, that does give us, let's call it buyer power to influence the system at large, which then ultimately will and should uh, trickle downstream to, to impact other populations. And as that model starts to prove itself out, there should be additional dollars, regardless of what the source, like per, maybe maybe it is government funding, to then go in and essentially replicate the same thing in the communities that today are perhaps like harder to reach for various reasons. You can do anything as long as you're willing to pay for it, right? And so, and and so I think I think it just starts with having a proven model, and then I think the dollars will follow. Even if ABC is incredibly unsuccessful, it doesn't create any new technologies, it doesn't take cost out of the system, I'm not sure that it would matter. Because it's already making changes. It's making changes in people, in how they see the world, and in how they see their work. And it's reshaping how the industry as a whole is thinking about change. It got everyone thinking. And it was this push in the market. It created a ripple effect, especially throughout the Cambia Grove. People are talking about it. They're still talking about what's going on and and how the healthcare system might be able to be changed. I mean, these conversations about what would you do, it gets you thinking about, well, if I was in that position, I would do X, Y, and Z. Well, why am I not already doing that? It's been a really great jolt to the system nationwide, but I 
I would caution that there is no amount of money that you can throw into the system to fix the system. We already have so much money in the system. I would encourage the entire system to really focus on the partnerships aspect. You can find links to all the people and companies we talked about today by going to geekwire.com slash health tech. Just look for the story that goes along with this episode. Health Tech is produced and written by me, Claire McGrain, with editing and story help from Todd Bishop. If you want to give us feedback on the show, get in touch by emailing podcast at geekwire.com. Or we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I know podcast hosts ask people to do this all the time, but you would be surprised by how much of a difference it makes. So if you like the show and do leave us a review, thank you so much. Another big thanks goes to our sponsor, Seattle Children's Research Institute. You can find out more about their work at seattlechildrens.org research. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, and geek culture, go to geekwire.com. While you're there, try signing up for our podcast newsletter to see other shows we produce. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.